Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Scott Miller. He's a leadership expert. In fact, if you're somebody who you manage people in any way, you got to check out this episode. He's talking about the mess that comes with management. In fact, he has an Amazon bestseller called Management Mess to Leadership Success. You got to check it out and absolutely check out this episode. Here comes your good advice. Hey, thanks for checking out the Good Advice Podcast. We're back with a special guest. Scott Miller is with us today, all the way from Salt Lake City, Utah. If you don't know Scott, you're going to know a little bit more about him today. And also, by the time we're done with this episode, I'm going to be demanding you go check out some of his content because I like this guy already. I'm loving what I'm hearing from him. He is a leader in thought leadership. He's with Franklin Covey. He's got a couple of best-selling books, Management Mess to Leadership Success, and Everyone Deserves a Great Manager. Man, I'm already loving these titles. Scott, how's it going today? Blake, it's going well. It's noon and my, I'm still married with three boys in the house. It's raining. <laughs> so, so far, so good. Man, you make that joke, but it's, it's been crazy. <laughs> the people I've talked to who like this quarantine and COVID, like it's really made people like rub and have some issues together. Of course. Um, so I'm glad to know that you're surviving fatherhood and marriage and all these things amongst a, uh, a global crisis. So beyond those things, how's life going for you? You know, uh, compared to some, we're very blessed. We're very grateful for all that we've earned and also um, all the blessings we have in our life. I just turned 52 a couple of days ago. Okay. And I think I mowed the lawn, I raked the yard, I washed the cars, and I mitigated, I don't know, 72 fights amongst the boys. So, hey, compared, <laughs> young, to, right? compared to some, okay, 172 fights. Okay. But, you know, comparatively... We've been very fortunate living in Utah, not so dissimilar to Arkansas. We're very spread out, not a dense population, pretty responsible group. Our cases are rising out here, but overall, we've been very fortunate to have dodged the bullet. Some others have not mm-hmm. so far. Well, and, and man, I'm, it's funny because every time I have a guest on the podcast, I'm always like, I love this podcast person. Like, I'm so excited. But then I kind of feel like I'm coming across as disingenuous. But I, man, I really want to say just looking through your bio and like reading what you've put out so far, man, leadership is a, it's a, it's a special area that I love to talk about. So I'm, I'm just excited to see kind of where we go with today's conversation. I'm excited for the audience to get your insight on what good, strong leadership is because we, it's interesting how people have very different definitions of this. Uh, why don't we just go ahead and jump in and talk to me a little bit about, you know, your sweet spot. I mean, you're, you're working in the leadership space. You know, you have a couple of these books that are out. Um, I love this title, Management Mess, which a lot of people, when they think they have to be a leader, they think about being very prim and proper and like having all your ducks in a row. And like a lot of times we think about this very perfect leader that you can get behind and it's just not always that accurate. Talk to me a little bit about what you're doing, man. 
Well, that book did extremely well because I think it was one of the first leadership books in the space that wasn't written from someone perfectly buttoned down. Everything worked out right. I mean, you know, everyone's got a mess, Blake. And when you can own your mess as a leader, then you make it safe for others to own theirs. Mm. And so after 30 years in the leadership development industry, Franklin Covey is probably by most measures the global leader in leadership partnering. We're based here in Salt Lake City. I've been in the firm for 25 years. Dr. Covey kind of raised me from a pup. I learned a lot about who should be a leader and who shouldn't. In fact, that's the premise of the book is that not everyone should be a leader of people. I think too often corporate America and the leadership industry has done a great service, even to small business owners, entrepreneurs, founders that think they have to not just be the owner, but be the leader of people. It's not true. Not everyone should be a commercial airline pilot. Not everyone should be an anesthesiologist. Not everyone should be a leader of people. Leadership's tough, right? It's unrelenting. It's unrewarding. It's thankless lots of times. It requires you to have high courage conversations and move outside your comfort zone. So I think the biggest lesson that I've learned in the leadership industry is that because you are the owner, the founder, the CEO does not mean you're naturally great at leading people. But if you do and you are leading people, there's some common principles that govern your behavior and you need to align to them. So like, what, what are some of the things that, you know, we're, we're talking about people who um, maybe they aren't the right fit for being a leader. And I'm sure there's people out there because, you know, we look at all over the spectrum. You have people who are, um, they think they should be the leader and you're like, okay, hang on. You, you <laughs> actually probably shouldn't be, but they're very confident that, that, that that's their role. And then you have people who are very insecure in their leadership, even though, you know, their humility or maybe their, their empathy for people have made them actually pretty well qualified. What are some things that you think people should think about as they're sort of evaluating their role and if they should fill in those shoes of being an effective leader? I, I think, is it worth the effort, right? I mean, is it worth the effort for me to become a chemical engineer? Oh, hell no. Could I? <laughs> Probably with enough training and decades of tutoring, but it's not worth the effort, right? So the first question I would ask yourself is, is this the right path for me? Not is this the right path someone else thinks for me or because this is the only way to earn a new title or earn more money or get promoted or have more influence. I think too often organizations, big and small, public and private, make the fatal mistake, Blake, of promoting individual producers to become leaders of people, right? We tend to promote the most efficient dental hygienist or the most creative digital designer or the top producing salesperson becomes the sales leaders. leader. Rarely are the skills correlated with what makes a great individual producer with a great leader. So I would, I would be asking yourself internally, is this what I want or is this what I feel is wanted from me? Is this what I need or is this what someone else needs from me? You know, easier said now as I'm on the kind of the, the other end of that journey in my career. But as I look back, I'm not sure, Blake, I should have been a leader of people. You know, I probably should have been like a, a defense attorney or a realtor or just an independent seven-figure producing salesperson or an entrepreneur where I had someone else be the chief operating officer and I was the chief revenue officer, or the chief fundraiser, or the sure. chief evangelist. I think oftentimes even small business owners, they've leveraged their home. They've mortgaged, second mortgaged their home, right? They've borrowed money from relatives and they feel like they need to own it all. In fact, I think the best leaders are those that can, to use your word, show some humility, be vulnerable, and be very clear about what are my skills? 
how do I double down on those and not try to be all things to all people? And if you're promoting someone to be a leader, sit down with him and have a courageous conversation. Hey, Blake, I'm thinking of making you the chief sales officer. You know, here's 10 things you do really well as the chief, as a, as you know, the top salesperson. And Blake, honestly, four of those you would need to stop doing if I promoted you to be a leader because those aren't helpful qualities for a leader of people. And Blake, here's like seven qualities of a leader that I'm going to need you to learn. You don't have them right now. You can learn them, but you'll need to learn them pretty quickly. Do you think this is the right role for you? Is this what you want to do? Um, those kind of conversations rarely happen. But when they do, people get the chance to say, you know what, quite frankly, I don't want to come to work tomorrow and have to have 15 high courage conversations about dress code and about hygiene, about punctuality and collaboration, and my listening skills. I don't want to do that. I just want to go out and help clients solve their problems and make some great money and go home and play with my kids. Yeah, yeah. That's just fine. Yeah, Stop yeah. shaming people or shaming yourself into thinking you should become a leader of people. Because what happens so often, Blake, in organizations is we promote the top individual producer, they then hate being a leader of people because they're dealing with people problems all day long. Some call it adult babysitting and they quit. Yeah. Now you've lost your top salesperson and your leadership pipeline and nobody's, you know, in a better place. Be very deliberate around that step into leadership. It, it kind of reminds me of a, uh, I was working with a national furniture company and it was like this, it was like this leadership program of how they were hiring basically foremen who were on the floor up into these manager positions. And I remember one of the foremen, like maybe it was like the second session, the third session, he kind of lost it. And he was like, I don't even want to be here. Like I loved just being on the floor and yeah. like working the line and like making sure that was good. Yeah. Incredible attention to detail. Like that was his sweet spot. And he was so good at it. It was like, we need to make you a manager. And it was kind of interesting going back to their boss and being like, Hey, this person just does not want to be a manager. Like what's, what does a path look like for that person yes. that yes. still, still allows them to move forward and develop, but that isn't equated with yeah. being someone's boss being, I think it's hard sometimes for us to think about what that looks like. The other thing you said, that I think is really interesting, man, you're, you're in, you're implying some really great practices, I think, in all businesses, like to have like, you call it courageous conversations or like candid conversations. Man, it's, it's, it's interesting because a lot of businesses, the, the reason they promote someone into leadership is it's, it's like, that's who we have. Like, that's just who we got. And I can never, you know, I think about a person actually who, she was telling me a story about how she was like so dysfunctional in her own job. And they brought someone in and they were like, hey, we need you to manage this person because like, we're just so strapped. And she, she was like, I don't know if I should say something. I don't know if I should be like, hey, I really shouldn't because I'm actually not even really doing my job. Like I'm actually like, on YouTube. <laughs> like I don't even know what to do. But there's not a lot of deliberateness or whatever that word is in having those intentional conversations, especially as businesses get larger. It yeah. seems like. I was going to say the same thing. I think the larger the organization, the more it's incumbent on building a great culture to have leadership processes in place. But what you just described isn't that unusual, right? It's, well, let Blake manage them or let so-and-so manage them. And it ends up destroying culture. You know, Blake, the Harvard Business Review did a study a few years ago where they said the average age that someone in the U.S. receives their first promotion into their first management role, age 30. Wow. Yet the average age they receive their first formal leadership development training, age 42. 
Wow. And so there is this yeah. empirical scientific 12 years Incredible. of like well-intended people like you and yeah. me that are wrecking havoc across companies and cultures because we it. have no idea what it is we're, yeah. we're doing. We don't even know it, but yeah, we're yeah. destroying people's self-esteem and their self-worth, right? Not because we're bad people. They haven't been trained as leaders. So yeah. to your point, organizations need to be much more deliberate and contemplative and thoughtful around if you're going to put someone under someone else's mentorship, coaching, tutelage formally, you have to, like morally, ethically, legally, perhaps even, you have to have some kind of leadership development plan in place where your leadership pipeline can get some coaching, nothing less to make sure they don't say things that are, you know, litigious or do things that are going to cause you to be, you know, in court, lose your business. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, you know, just listening to you, I'm, I'm curious, like, what do you say to like leaders who, or rather I should say business owners who they haven't prioritized their business in that way. So like basically, you know, we're, we're talking about being deliberate. We're talking about um, actually being intentional with promoting someone and even like taking the time to evaluate yourself, like this whole like self-reflective piece of like, am I actually doing a good job as a leader? We don't always, we don't always do this. Do you ever find yourself in conversations with an owner of having to like really help them understand like, okay, it, it can't be cart before the horse. This person needs to now go into training. They need to now, because I know there's some owners out there who are like, no, I'm good. I'm just going to, they'll figure it out. I figured it out myself. We're fine. You know, what do you say to someone like that who just doesn't have sort of the right perspective? Well, owners are people, last time I checked, and most people are not as self-aware as they claim they are or want to be, right? So I think the yeah. first answer <laughs> I would give you is leaders need to model what they want to see in all of their associates, whether that's your character, your competence, uh, how you treat people, what you say, the deliberation with which you speak, how well you listen, how productive you are, how you offer apologies, how you forgive people, everything. It's enormous weight on a leader's back. I think it all starts with, are you willing to be vulnerable? You know, you mentioned, you used the word humility earlier. I used to think that humble leaders were weak leaders back in my naive days, that humble people were shy, retiring. The fact mm. of the matter is humility is born out of confidence. Confident people are capable of showing humility. It's arrogant people, arrogant leaders who are incapable of being humble leaders. So the more a leader, owner, founder, entrepreneur can sit their team down and say, you know what, open kimono. I'd like to talk today around what we see as each of our strengths and weaknesses. And I'm going to start with myself. Here are some things that I think I'm actually quite good at. And here are some things that we all know I suck at. And that isn't giving me license to be a bad leader, a bad owner. I just want to open a conversation with high trust, high transparency, high vulnerability. And I'd love to kind of talk around what do you think some of my strengths and weaknesses are? Just me today. Just me, right? No, off no offense, no retaliation. Set the conditions where people can have a high courage conversation with you about what it's like to work for you. Like, that's a great question. If you want to build better self-awareness, ask the people who work for you, what's it like to be in a meeting with me? What's it like to be at a trade show, work a booth with me? What's it like to go on a retreat with me? You know what? I know this isn't a personal podcast. Go home to your partner or spouse. Ask them, what's it like <laughs> to be married to me? Right? 
uh, you'll learn so much. And once you make it safe for that to be the environment, people will see you hopefully taking that feedback and not bristling, not deflecting, denying, refuting. When someone says to you, you know, Scott, in meetings, you tend to shut down people's ideas and it's kind of always needs to be your idea. What you should say then is, thank you for that. Tell me, what do you think is going on with me when I'm doing that? Do I seem jealous? Do I seem insecure? Do I seem intimidated? Do I seem nervous? I mean, that's a conversation that no leader ever has with their team. But when you set that as the example, and now it's time to perhaps one-on-one talk with your team members around what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses. They'll remember how well you took the feedback and you will have set that standard. This is the way high trust, fast moving organizations with thick cultures mm-hmm. exponentiate their, their, not just their sales and their revenue, but people don't quit, right? We know this adage, people quit bad bosses in corrupt cultures. They don't quit jobs. And so if you want to retain people longer than the three-year average, which Blake, you know now is kind of the outside end of someone's career for the younger generation, you got to build a culture where they feel safe, they respect the leader, and more importantly, they learn from the leader being humble, being vulnerable, admitting their own mistakes, making it safe to take risks. That all comes from a fear culture or a, a liberated culture. And, you know, and it feels like we keep kind of circling back to this concept, and I can't remember the wording you used it, but it's it's sort of the price of leadership, like it's sort of the cost. If you're gonna, if you're going to be the guy or the or the person or the woman or whoever, like the the person who leads the team, like you have to be able to to um, eat the cost or the sacrifice of yeah. being the one to say, hey, you know, this is. I'm going to put myself out there, but I, I've known a lot of leaders, not even in my own life, but other people I've talked to who, you know, when we have that conversation on what do we need to work on, everyone around the room gets, gets put on the pedestal to like, okay, what do you think about this person? But then conveniently up, oh, we're at a time when it gets to me, the boss, right? Or um, start with yourself. Yeah, totally. But and then talking about culture, you know, we're talking about a high trust, candid culture, a lot of leaders, and that sounds kind of hard. That sounds kind of, you know, it is. as a boss. But so what ends up happening is, well, let's, let's just buy the, let's buy the foosball table. That will give us the culture. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll have like free soda in the break room. I mean, that's game changer, right? But it, it's interesting how we try these shortcuts to sort of build that culture rather than actually paying the price and doing the hard, the hard stuff that actually comes with leadership. Lead, people don't quit leaders who love them. People don't go across the street for a dollar more an hour or one more percent commission or the free soda machine if they're working in a culture where they are challenged, respected, loved, appreciated, and where they can relate to their boss. I think the days of the 90s are over, like long over, where you were here and the CEO was untouchable, right? They were on the 17th floor. Good grief. People want to be able to relate to their leaders. They want to sit down and have the leaders say, let me tell you the time that I blew my biggest sales deal ever and I screwed my boss because I didn't deliver on that quarter's $400,000. And let me reconstruct for you all the mistakes that I made in the hopes that you can learn from those same mistakes before you ever venture into that pothole. People are wrapped. They're captured with that kind of leader, right? I remember once when I made a mistake, it was a $50,000 mistake at Franklin Covey because I had failed to properly Google, like, yes, Google the name of a new product I wanted to name. 
We launch a new program. We get a cease and desist order from an attorney three weeks later asking for a gajillion dollars, right? I didn't freaking Google it. Complete incompetence. I walk into the CEO with a solution, a $50,000 solution, and he has two choices, right? Shame me, fire me, humiliate me. Instead, he pulls me in, closes the door and says, let me share my doozy. Let me share. And he goes on to a time where he had done a similar thing. They'd printed billboards, had to take them all down. And that didn't license, that didn't give me license or permission to keep doing it. He just taught me such a valuable lesson where I never wanted to like cash in that shit ever again, right? I was super cautious now around dotting my I's and crossing my T's because he'd like taken me into his wing. He'd forgiven me, pre-forgiven me, shared some vulnerability, and I never wanted to like use that trust mm -hmm. as currency later on, right? It, it's so I think as leaders, start with yourself. Dr. Covey used to say, Dr. Covey, of course, is the co-founder of our firm, Franklin Covey, wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That book is in its 30th year, has sold 40 million copies. He said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. He also said, Blake, many wise things. He said, you can't talk yourself out of a problem you've behaved yourself into. Mm. So as a leader, if you've done something wrong, if you've said something wrong, if you've made a bad decision... Call everyone together and say, you know what? I want to be a bit vulnerable because, A, I want to come clean with you. I also want this to be a teaching moment for any of you all that may be faced in the same situation in this company or in another future career. You do that every week without becoming a, you know, it becoming your confessional. Yeah. You, can, you, know, you can cross <laughs> that line. You will build a culture where people will not go across the street for a foosball table. They'll be like, I got to stay here. I got to learn some more of these things because this guy is – this guy cares about me, right? He cares about, about me enough not to look perfect in my eyes, but to look imperfect in order to teach me and grow me. Those leaders are rare and you don't quit them. Mm. Well, you've, you've said some really incredible things already. Man, I'm, I'm curious. How, how did you get into this business? Like, how, give, me, give me the I scoop. got fired. I got oh. fired. <laughs> Okay, so what happened? So, Richard, so I live in Salt Lake City with my wife and our three sons. I'm actually from Orlando, Florida born and raised in central Florida. I worked for the uh, Disney company for four years, an amazing ride in my early 20s. Um, they invited me to leave, which is the nice way Disney departs yeah, you, yeah. right? I was just sure. a wreck. I was 20. I, I was gossipy and a busybody, and I was just annoying. And, you know, my expense reports were always on the edge. You know, I was just, you know, you, you tend to gravitate toward the ethics and the style of your leader right? Mm. And I was kind of doing the same thing. Disney invited me to leave and the Franklin Covey company who'd met me at Disney had kind of saw something in myself that I didn't see. And they moved me out to Provo, Utah. Now this again, single Catholic boy from Orlando moving to Provo, Utah. That's like, you know, being a Jew and moving to Vatican City, right? Great yeah, yeah. for the weekend, <laughs> probably not great for 25 years, but was an amazing ride. And so here I got to tutor under Dr. Stephen R. Covey and all these amazing people for 25 years. And like you, I host a podcast. It's now the world's largest distributed sub subscribed podcast to leadership. And so every week I get to read a different book and interview a different author. And so I've just been absorbing with this insatiable curiosity for, you know, 25 years and I don't always live up to it. I talk a good game. 
Um, but I hopefully are, I'm hopefully on that quest of aligning my knowledge and my actions, right? As congruent as possible. I'll tell you, I probably did not become, I was going to say great leader. I didn't become a respectable leader until my late forties. I was super creative and competent and hardworking and always in competition with the people who worked for me because I was so insecure, so jealous, so stricken with, you know, imposter syndrome. I was, a, I was a great CMO. I'm an officer in a company. But I think if you're really self-aware and you're willing to be vulnerable, you start to unpack why you do a lot of the things you do. And for me, that happened in my late 40s, not so long ago, four years ago. Wow. Kind of a turning point. Wow. Now, was that, was that like a culmination of just several things building up or yeah. like, was it? You know, it, I tell you that the, the, there was a pivot point and it's when I read the book Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. This, this is a seminal book. Liz actually endorsed my book, Management Mess, in, in my late 40s, Blake. Now, again, I'm an officer in a leadership company, right? You would yeah. think I'd have it <laughs> down straight, right? Yeah. Um, last time I checked, there's been a few, you know, leaders that haven't always, you know, done the right thing. Liz taught me that everybody is an accidental diminisher. I think she, she, she describes nine diminishing types. And our job is to move constantly towards multiplying people. That our job as leaders is not to be the smartest person in the room, but rather to be the, the genius maker. Not the genius, but the genius maker of others. Mm-hmm. And literally, I had an epiphany that my career had been built on me being the genius, mm. me being the smartest person in the room, when my job was to, in fact, recruit and retain talent around me that was palpably, noticeably, materially more competent than me, get out of their way, cut through the red tape, empower them, lift them up, and then pollinate them throughout the organization, not just hoard them around my own brand. It was Liz Wiseman <laughs> that taught me um, how to be a multiplying leader. Well, and 48. It's, it, you know, it's, it's where it becomes less about ego as the leader and your title and glory and all the things that you're building for yourself. And, you know, you go back to sort of like that, that common of it being a thankless job. I mean, the people that you multiply and you create exponential impact with, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like the coaching tree analogy. I don't know if you've heard it, but you look at all these incredible coaches who, you know, you, you can trace them back to Bill Belichick with the Patriots. There's plenty of other examples, but, you know, you can just see how someone's tutelage has now caused someone else to go on and create even greater things. And, and I even remember I had a guy one time I was talking to who we were talking about him investing in the people on his team. And he was like, this is not what I was coached with. He was like, my boss told me to like really make sure I don't work myself out of a job to kind of protect mm. my position, protect my status and to only give my people really as much as they need to do the job well enough so that I don't get fired. They don't get yeah. fired. I mean, it's, it's a totally different take on, I guess what you and I would call effective leadership. And man, there's just a lot of voices out there that, you know, aren't, they just, they aren't on point. And especially now, I don't know if with COVID, if you've found an opportunity to really have a lot of great content, but it's been interesting seeing business owners, how they've responded to the pandemic in terms of the trust they give to their people or how they uh, autonomize their people or 
I was talking to a guy who his entire team is having to work remote now. And he's like, man, I don't know what to do. Like I, w- no work's going to get done. Like nothing's going to get done. And I remember just thinking I, like, that's, that's, an, that's an interesting perspective. I know. I know. It's the question I get asked all the time. How do I know if my people are working? And I'm saying, what? Yeah. That, yeah. Cross would, that thought would never cross my mind. What were you doing the last decade building <laughs> a culture where everybody yeah. was empowered and, and accountable and coached and, and given feedback, right? I mean, I, I've got a team of nine that report to me. They're all six-figure earners or almost some of them. I, I, the thoughts never crossed my mind because as a leader – I have learned, to your point, Blake, that my job now is to get work done with and through others. That's profound. I didn't invent that. But a leader's mindset is to get work done with and through other people. And when that's your mindset, you then intentionally coach, develop people. They are, they are self-initiated, right? They are exceeding your expectations. They're using their resourcefulness and their ingenuity and their own creativity to bring about solutions. And as a leader, your mindset also needs to be in a virtual environment too. When I touch base with them, I'm checking in, not checking on. Mm. People can tell when you're checking on. But if you're checking in, how you doing? How's it going? What are your fears? I'm scared too. What are you working on today? You're, you're despondent? Me too. <laughs> you know, let's both agree <laughs> to take a 30-minute despondent break. Let's get back on together in a half an hour and let's crush the rest of the day, right? That's checking in. Yeah. It's not checking on. Yeah. I think your point that you were making that I maybe interrupted was if someone is fearful of what their people are doing, how they're going to thrive without them, you've built a culture where everyone's dependent upon you and you have to be driving everything. Mm. And that worked to secure your job, but you've not built the infrastructure. We're probably well-intended, smart, hardworking people don't know how to function without you checking on them. Mm. never too late to change that. But it's kind of like I say people, people, people will say to me when I'm giving speeches, well, what do you do when people aren't telling you the truth? They're lying to you. Like, well, that's your problem. That's your fault. (laughs) If people are lying to you, that's because you've not created a culture where it is safe to tell you the truth. Because you've either blown up, humiliated someone, verbally eviscerated someone, your job as a leader is to handle bad news. Not wrong news, bad news. There's a difference. And as a leader, your job is to coach what is wrong news versus what is bad news. And the sooner your people feel safe to tell you bad news, the sooner you can solve it, right? Mm-hmm. The sooner you, especially in a sales environment, if you've got people who are missing their forecast left and right, that's your fault, not, your, not theirs. Because yeah. you've not built the culture they can come to you and say, the deal's going south. Can you help mm-hmm. me? The deal's going south. Yeah, it makes me think of a woman who she was telling me about she had lost something like half her staff. Uh, or actually, maybe the entire staff had turned over in the, in the course of a year. But she had just lost a, a, the half of her capacity. And she made some comments. She was like, well, you know, just millennials. And I'm a millennial. And so I'm like, I don't even know where you're going with this because you know I'm a millennial. But she's like, you know, millennials. And it's just so hard to hire good people these days. And I remember talking to her and saying, well, you know, um, I'm a millennial, so I, don't, I may not know much, but from what I know, when half your staff quits, it's typically not the millennial, typically it's the boss. And I remember her reaction of, well, if, if you're saying it's my fault, I wouldn't want 
I wouldn't want to hire you. I mean, you have no idea then. And you wouldn't want to work for her either. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But I, but I remember thinking, you know, man, it's, again, just, I don't mean to keep going back, but it's interesting tracing this conversation back to self-awareness and That's self-discovery and That's taking it. the time to realize, yeah. oh my yeah. gosh, it is me. I think there is a generational divide, right? Where, sure. again, I'm, I'm 52, so I'm kind of a cusper, kind of, kind of a baby boomer, but not really. Gen X are not really. But I, um, I think there comes a, a, there's a, there's a generational divide where people my age and older kind of think, well, it's my business, it's my culture, it's my way. You need to assimilate to my way of doing business. And if we're, meaning my generation, are going to be relevant leaders for the next 10, 20 years, or given our 401k balance next 100 years, as we're working to rebuild our wealth, <laughs> um, we're going to have to move into your world. It's kind of like you hear where caretakers of patients that have dementia and Alzheimer's, they cannot come into your world. You have to get into their world. Mm -hmm. The same is right with booming leadership. You have to get into their world. Their more flexible work hours, their desire to move around and always be educated, their desire to contribute differently, the way they want to be compensated, they want to be valued, spoken with, treated. The old rules don't apply anymore. Now, principles still govern human behavior, respect, honesty, integrity, vulnerability, transparency. Those are, those are, those are you know, timeless principles of leadership. Yeah. But this woman you speak of, who probably was very competent in her prime, needs to understand that the workforce of the future is going to rule the culture. And if she wants to retain her staff, she's going to have to probably modify as much of what she's asking from them right. out of her own behavior as well. well let me ask you this. I, I, I read a news article yesterday and I put it out in my newsletter this week and I, I almost it almost felt like science fiction because I couldn't believe that it was true. But speaking about like checking up on people versus checking in on people, tell me if you heard this story and it's, it's, it is a real story. I've already fact-checked this company out of Wisconsin gave its employees the option to be microchipped in order to measure productivity. And so now 50 people in this company have been microchipped with an RFID tracking chip. And because companies have now taken this as sort of like a, oh, that's an interesting idea. Now you're having states, which the reason this was in the news was because Michi Michigan just passed yesterday a bill saying it is now going to be illegal to force your people to be chipped. And I was reading this thinking like, this, this is so surreal. This is so crazy. What do you say to people who like they're, man, and they wouldn't even probably see it themselves this way, but the distrust has become, become so rampant that the solution is now this, not even scientifically, science fiction-y, whatever, but it's so outside like the realm of what just is common sense, what makes sense, obviously like cost of like paying for those things. Like how do you, how do you turn a company that is just so... I don't want to say so far gone, but like their perspective is just so outside really probably what you talk about, what we'd say maybe is like high functioning leadership. What do you think? Like where, do, where does that go from there? That's a waste of my time. <laughs> I mean, that's so idiotic. You clearly got the story wrong. This is a story about a veterinary offering services to no, check your dogs. You would think lost. so. And it's funny <laughs> yeah, you say that I mean, right. Yeah. I someone mean. actually reached out to me after I sent out the email and they were like, 
all I think about is a dog, like getting microchipped. Right. Yeah, well, that's, I, repug- that's repugnant, right? I'm certainly, s- s- someone had a good idea that of course is an idiotic idea and they had budget or authority or they had a board of directors around them that validated their idiocy. idiocy. And so what, a, what a, fortunately, what an outrageous outlier, right? Because we all know that culture, building a culture of high trust is what everybody yearns to be a part of. Mm. And that as a leader, I know that, you know, not everybody is self-motivated. Not everybody is self-directed. Not everybody is trustworthy. But as a leader, your job is to model that in all of your skills and interactions and to go out and try to be a magnet for talent as much as possible. You know, companies are facing a lot of pressures. People do crazy things to survive, right? I mean, if you look at the, the labor laws and the visas and the, the, you know, the current administration and how they're trying to balance all of their policies around immigration and such, it's hard to hire people right now. It's hard to, to get people to work for more money than they might earn on unemployment, right? There's a lot right. of crazy things going on. This is not a time probably where a lot of experiments will get much credence, it comes back to the principles that govern human behavior, trustworthiness, respect, honor, mm. apologizing, setting clear expectations, giving feedback. I mentioned before, moving outside your comfort zone and having high courage conversations with people. This, not that. More of this, less of that. We need this, not that. And the more that you coach people with kind words, but in a very clear style, the more you and they will know, is this the right fit? I just don't believe in the premise that you can't retain great people without chipping them or checking um, on them. Mm-hmm. You may, defund, may need to fundamentally change your profit um, model. You may need to change your business model. You may need to raise your prices. You may need to you know, reallocate the way you compensate. You may need to look at your incentives, your recruitment strategies, your referral plans. Why aren't your current employees staying? They're leaving for a reason. Why aren't your current employees referring in all of their friends and family? If they're not, it's for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I get that it's frustrating. When you've mortgaged your home twice and you're down to your last couple weeks of payroll, you're desperate to do things like chip people. It's never going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's... But I love that fodder. Thank you for that. Thank you for that fictional example of a successful uh, firm hey, in Wisconsin. I'm going <laughs> to send you the news article because I was like, I, I surely you. thought it couldn't be. But, um, and that, you know, that's a soundbite. I don't think I ever would hey, have Hey, Blake, I hear there was a big political rally in Oklahoma last week and people went to it. Anything is possible, yeah, right? I yeah. mean, yeah, anything is possible. Well, less went who were reported, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, hey, so Thanks I, to TikTok. I, we're, we're starting to wrap up the conversation. I, I want to ask you two things real quick. The first one, I want to put a, a nice little bow on what you just said, having conversations with kindness and clarity. Yeah. Any, any encouragement to, because yeah. in, Man, I'm in the South, so people, they have the kindness part nailed yeah. down. Yeah. And, and typically what happens is, actually, I'll give you a real example. Person's coming in late every single day. Manager realizes, I need to have a conversation about this. And so what happens is the manager sits this person down. This is a real conversation. And they say, hey, you know, what's going on? I've just noticed you've been coming in late. Uh, well, it's been really, really tough, really challenging, yada, yada. And manager basically says, well, I just want to make sure you're okay. Like, I, just, I care about you. You know, it's been strange seeing you come in late constantly. And the person's like, no, like, I'm good. And, and so the conversation ends and that's it. Well, the person continues to come in late. 
And having this conversation with this, this manager, I said, well, did you ever say, you know, I need you to not be in late? And uh, he was like, well, no, I didn't want to be like rude. I didn't want to like, you know, but, but that was the whole point of the conversation in the first place. And the employee not being malicious, but just kind of thought, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. My manager was checking, checking in on me, right? What, what do you say to encourage someone to actually try to be more, I don't say abrasive. It's, yeah. it's that word you use, clarity. Yeah. You know, being more clear, being more confident in the hard conversation and not being fearful of, I'm going to crush this person. People aren't going to like me anymore. You know, people are going to hate working for me. What, what's your perspective there? One of our founders, Blaine Lee, who's passed now, wrote a book called The Power Principle. And he said the following. I'm going to repeat it twice because it's prophetic. Nearly all, if not all conflict in life, comes from mismatched or unfulfilled expectations. Nearly all, if not all conflict in life, comes from mismatched or unfulfilled expectations. As a leader, it is incumbent upon you to give people high courage, high considerate feedback so that they're very clear on expectations and the boundaries. What this leader needed to say was, hey, Blake, I need to have a bit of a high courage conversation with you. And I want you to know my intent is to help you build a great career here. And there are some behaviors that you've been exhibiting recently, perhaps you're not aware of, that are jeopardizing perhaps your ability not just to have a great career, but any career here in the organization. Now, I might get this wrong. I might say the wrong thing. I might even need a do-over. My intent is to help you. I've been noticing you've been coming in after the agreed-upon work start hour too many times recently, and I want to both understand what's going on in your life that's making you late, but also set some very clear boundaries on what has to happen starting pretty immediately. Now, if I'm, if I'm wrong, if you have been on time, I'm open to that opinion, but I want to have an open and transparent conversation with you. Let that person talk. And then very clearly, you need to summon the courage, the confidence, and the diplomacy, both of these equal parts, to have that conversation. Because as you just said, the one side of leadership style, where you're so bold, you're so courageous, you're so northeasternness, if you will, <laughs> that you just, you know, you cut someone down. It's very you clear. And you, could have, you crush them, right? And yeah. you, you crush their self-esteem, their self-worth, their self-confidence. Of course, the other side is true. The person is so demure, so diplomatic, so perhaps retiring, so loath to offend that they have a conversation and the person scratches their head and they leave like, I don't know what I was even talking about. <laughs> this comes as an art, right? This is what great leaders do is they role play, they practice, they check their rate, their tone, their pitch, their body language, right? The look on their face, where they sit in the room, the power differential. They go on a walk perhaps, but they don't pull the chicken switch. They make sure that they say, hey, Blake, thanks for this conversation. I understand that your wife's been working the night shift and you've had to oversleep. Um, we've talked about a couple of solutions. At the end of the day, this job, you need to be on the phones at eight o'clock. And I need you to know, I can't give you any more grace because it's, 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 um, it's impacting our culture. And it's also diminishing my credibility as a leader with your other colleagues who have crafted their lives in ways where they can be on time for this job. Perhaps we need to look at a different job for you or a different shift. Or Blake, it might even be time for you to find a job outside of the company that better accommodates your need. No, easy for me to role play. I have these conversations all day long every day because the biggest gift you can give someone is feedback on one of their blind spots. Mm. 
And the reason it's a blind spot is because perhaps no leader prior to you summoned the courage to call this out. And you can have high courage conversations in delicate ways where both parties leave very clear. This is a skill set that leaders must learn. And if you don't, step down. You do not deserve to be a leader if you are not willing to have a high courage conversation that makes the facts very clear, that still allows the other person to stay intact. In fact, even maybe better off than when you found them because they realize, you know what? I appreciate your ability to summon the courage and the consideration to have that conversation. Now, that won't always be their perception, right? They'll hate you. They'll trash you, whatever, you know, glass door, Google my name. You know what? It's horrifying, <laughs> I'm sure. I don't go to glass door because I don't care. Yeah. But what I can tell you is of all the complaints people have about me as their leader, no one would complain that I didn't sit them down and have a respectful but courageous conversation on how they need to change their behavior. Because if they don't, it'll be repeated in their next job and their next career and their next marriage. Mm. It's the greatest gift you can give someone. And I just know there's going to be plenty of managers and managers to be who are probably going to rewind that last five minutes and we hit with the notepad and okay, what do I say Good. next? Because I think it is, it is an art and it is a skill you have to master. And I, I think you did a great job articulating that. The key is to declare your intent. Use those words. My intent is to, because absent facts, people make stuff up. Absent you declaring your agenda, people will ascribe one to you. And then you're very clear. My intent is to help you build a great career here. And there are some behaviors you're exhibiting that are putting that in jeopardy. That's mm. very clear. Yep. And it's respectful. Yeah. I, 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 the way I've heard it described is where there's a, a hole, people fill it with whatever's yeah, natural true. to them. Right. So if you don't, if you don't put your stuff in that hole first, right, right. You know, people are going to fill with that up. With what their own. last boss did, right? Or their right. first boss did, or their ex-husband did, right? You have to declare your intent. Yeah. Yeah, we are, man, I feel like we're just on a roll. We're unfortunately out of time. Uh, the second thing I wanted to ask you was just, man, what, what do people need to go? What do they need to buy from you? What do they get from you? I mean, you got these awesome books out management mess to leadership success and everyone deserves a great manager. Talk to me about what you're excited about right now that you want people to check out. Well, I'm excited about Franklin Covey, right? I'm in my first 25 years, and we've got some great new books coming out. We just relaunched The Seven Habits on the 30th anniversary. We have a new book coming out in the fall called A Leader's Guide to Unconscious Bias. We have a new sales leadership book coming out called Strikingly Different Sales. I'm launching a new book in January called Master Mentors. 40 transformative insights from our greatest minds. I've called 40 of the last interviews and written an insight from San, from Seth Godin, Dan Pink, Liz Wiseman, General McChrystal, and 36 other names. Um, I'm writing a whole series of books in the mess to success genre. So you mentioned I wrote Management Mess to Leadership Success. In 2021, I'm launching Marketing Mess to Brand Success. Next will be job mess to career success, communication mess to influence success. My son and I are writing parenting mess to launch success. <laughs> I'll buy that one. <laughs> so there'll be about nine books in that series. So I appreciate, Blake, the platform and the conversation. There's a reason why your, um, your podcast is so well subscribed to because you've got a lot, of, a lot of value to offer. Thanks for your time today. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining. I'll have to have you come on again whenever you launch that book and just I'd give a little bit of spiel about it. Uh, Scott, thanks for joining today. For the audience, actually, Scott, tell me real quick, what was the name of the podcast that you do? It's called On Leadership with Scott Miller. You can Google that. comes out every Tuesday. 
via uh, email, on podcast platforms, video and audio on Leadership with Scott Miller. Great, great, great. Uh, I'll put that episode, or excuse me, that podcast uh, link down in the episode description. Uh, for the listeners, thanks for tuning in. Hey, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, what the heck are you waiting on? You got to click that subscribe button. But hey, don't even click subscribe on my podcast. If you have to pick one, head on over to On Leadership. No, podcast. pick Blake's. Not, not, not cool. <laughs> cool, but not cool. <laughs> check, check that out. Uh, check out his books. You can find them on Amazon. And as always, thanks for the support. We'll be bringing you more good advice next week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you later. See ya.